0: what's happening everyone welcome back or welcome to the water ski podcast this is Matteo Luzzeri your host and the goal of this podcast is to promote Water skiing in all its events, the people around the sport, um, stories about the sport. We just promote water skiing. We like the sport and we want it to be bigger. Um, if you have been following the podcast uh, for the last two or three months at least, you might know that I hold a PhD in sports psychology. Uh, that, that is the field where I did all my training and my education and the field that that I'm passionate about. And it goes without saying that having an opportunity to combine my two big passions, so sports psychology and water skiing, has been a lot of fun, both professionally and through the podcast. So I started this series of episodes called Swerve Psych or Swerve Psychology, where basically I introduce some of the topics within the field of sports psychology and see how those can be applicable to water skiing. And I've been thinking about doing an episode on flow, uh, which you might have heard differently as being in the zone or being locked in, um, being on the sweet spot, that's more common in golf. But essentially, that experiential state where everything somewhat feels automatic and easy to execute and oftentimes is associated with performance with very good performance but not necessarily um and so i was trying to plan for an episode ahead and then i realized that we talked marcus and i talked about this very topic on his podcast four years ago almost four years ago um, now most of you might know that his podcast is called The Flow Point Podcast, so it seemed uh, appropriate that we would discuss the psychology of flow, so the theory behind it, the dimensions that we use to understand the flow experience, some personal examples, and what skiers can do to make flow experiences more likely to occur. Now, they are few and far between in any performer. Um, doesn't matter your level of water skiing or any other performance field, flow states doesn't, they don't happen very often, but when they do, they really hook you in into your activity and make you enjoy it more and make you more motivated, um, to do it more often. So that sounds pretty good. Um, so we, we decided at the time to, to just give a bit of education about what flow flow is and how that could relate to water skiers. So because if you are like me, I prefer to hear conversational podcasts as opposed to one person speaking in front of the mic, I decided to take that episode, obviously with Marcus' permission, and uh, share it with you guys. I think you will enjoy it if you hadn't had a chance to hear it um, four years ago. And uh, if anything, you might learn... A little bit more about what flow is now I'll also post the link to this to the original episode of flow point podcast in the show notes as well as another episode Marcus and I recorded where we spoke in more general terms towards the end of that episode about the effect that flow experiences can have on children um, and and they are good effects so, I hope you'll enjoy both of those original episodes. Go and subscribe to Marcus's uh, podcast, the Flowpoint podcast, and especially go and check out the Flowpoint method. So, if you're not aware, the Flowpoint method is the online water ski training program that Marcus and Jenny developed. Um, they basically tackled water skiing improvement with a very holistic approach. Uh, which is, by the way, the approach that most professional sports take, right? So technique, uh, physical, so fitness, nutrition, mindset, uh, strategy, truly holistic approach for those who are committed to take water skiing to the next level. Um, If you are interested in joining or even just to try the the free three-day trial, I can never say it right, free three-day trial, uh, you can go on www.thewaterskipodcast.com slash flowpointmethod, one word. Um, or you can click in the link in the show notes. So go and check out the podcast, the method, and uh, enjoy this episode. And come back next week for uh, this time for an interview next week. So enjoy.
1: So continuing the discussion with the Flowpoint Professor... From last episode, can't remember which mm-hmm. the one that was, maybe seven or five or six. Uh, today we're going to be talking about flow and mindfulness. Correct?
0: Yes. What, what? Yes. By the way, let me preface that I'm not super comfortable with flow improving professor, but by now uh, I guess I'll accept it and move on.
1: You're gonna. It's you, dude. It's you. You're locked in. You can't back out. Only way that you can get out of this is if I fire you, and that's not going to happen. Okay. Good. So. Okay. Good. Good. So, tell us a little bit about the uh, history of flow, or where, you, where do you want to start with this? Actually, you you know better than I do.
0: I think, I think the in- history is interesting, right? So the guy that uh, formalized the uh, concept of flow, his name is Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, and he's a. I know, I know. It takes takes a degree to learn how to pronunciate him. So he's a, a clinical psychologist out of Hungary. Uh, who basically in the 1970s formalized the, uh, the concept, right? And uh, what he was interested in understanding was what kind of experiences do people who are involved with something, uh, I guess, engaging report, right? So we are talking about athletes, musicians, writers, scientists, dancers, anyone who is pursuing a craft and there are a few times where they experience something that they would define as flow or the sweet spot or being in the zone, all this terminology that we hear all the time. And uh, it started, like we start a lot of times in science, just by asking people, right? So what is it that you experience when you have that? Uh, what does it mean when you're feeling flow like what what things are occurring you know can can i just say
1: one thing yeah i feel like people use the word flow like they use the word love does that make sense go on i feel like your your buddy just did something cool oh dude you were in the zone man I was you're feeling the flow well actually or just like Oh man, I, I love this dress. That you hear you hear some a woman say that or a guy say, Man, I, I love those wheels, dude. Like right. that's not love, okay? And just like yeah. that's not love, there's a lot of things that really aren't flow, but I feel like it's a very spec like you're getting to that point, but it's a very critical, like unique moment that yes. not every not everybody feels every day. it's just not something that I, I a very few times have I actually been
0: at that flow point you know yeah and that's what uh Csikszentmihalyi found out when he was interviewing people like they were asking he was asking them like oh, how many times have you experienced flow in your life and especially in the athletic domain maybe a dozen times in a career right on average so 10 12 times where they experience true flow moments so it's a rare thing you know uh but obviously we see it as the different degrees. So it's not either this is a flow experience or it isn't. Uh, there are different degrees of flow, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so what are the characteristics of flow? What is it that flow is made of? And one of the things that we know, and that's probably the one I spend the most time on, is the balance between challenge and skill, right? And even to be more specific, the perceived challenge and the perceived skill. So what that means is if you're doing, if you're presented with a challenge that is pretty high but you know you can achieve, okay, and you have a certain amount of skill, when the two tend to be high, that's when you're very likely to experience flow, okay? So let's say, let's do a a ski example. Am I allowed ski example? For sure, dude. That's what we're here for. Okay. So let's say someone who's uh, on average can ski three buoys at 32 off, okay? Yep. Um if we have a practice set because flow can happen, practice tournament, you know, yep. doesn't it's, it's very it's somewhat detached from performance. Non-discriminatory. Let's say, let's, no, exactly. Uh, so let's say that we ask to this skier, uh, um, hey, let your your goal today is to do one at 32, off the dock, okay? So that's possible, it's not super simple, not super hard, but still challenging, right? Sure. Provided the skier thinks he or she has the ability to do it, so skill pretty high, challenge pretty high, then this skier is, is, is likely to experience flow. If they're well-matched. If they're well-matched, yep. right? Yeah. You can the answer opposite. your mom's call if you need to. Oh, no, no. This is uh, <laughs> this is actually Dame Meckler. You know who he is. But uh, I we'll, we'll you know. throw the phone away. Um, okay, sorry about that. So, yeah, no. If they're both high, that's when you're likely to experience flow. If the challenge is too high, so for this gear we say you're, uh, try to go out and run 2 at 39, obviously yeah. that's impossible, yeah. right? Uh. They perceive that their skill is not up to the challenge. The challenge is massive. No flow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the opposite as well. Like if we challenge this gear to go out and to do two buoys at thirty-four miles per hour, fifteen off, it's not really that challenging, right? Yeah. So you have to have that experience, that well balance of flow of a um, challenge and skill for flow to happen, sure. right? Now, the the tricky bit is. It's your perceived challenge and your perceived skill. So it doesn't really... No, sorry. That perception is based on reality. So if you know that 19 sets out of 20, you go out and you do 3 at 32, you know that on average your skill is 3 at 32 <coughs> off. But if you truly believe that your skill is 5 at 32 off, then your perceived skill is 5 at 32 off. Mm-hmm. That's a slightly different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, it's the balance of perceived skill and perceived challenge. Um, So, I have a question. Go on. How do we culture and nurture
1: and help athletes, whether it's water skiers or otherwise, develop the correct perception of their own skill set? Because it seems like sometimes athletes don't have the correct perception of what they're capable of. And therefore what, the, what their potential is. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Whether it's Whether high to, or it's low. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I think, honest, this is a very general answer, but feedback, right? Um, feedback that you receive from the activity itself, which is good that water skiing, particularly slalom and jump, have uh, physical measures or... or Integers yep. measure of performance, right? Benchmarks,
1: yep.
0: Right. So the feedback there is self evident. For someone like a wakeboarder, say, it's a little harder because their ratings are subjective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have an idea, of course, but it's tougher for them to get a very prima facie performance yeah. feedback, right? Yep. But that's when, you know, on top of that, you add your coaches, you yeah. add video, any kind of feedback generally gives you an understanding of perceived skill. Sure. Now, perceived s- challenge is more about, I mean, it obviously, defense on skill depends on skill, but it also depends on confidence, right? Yep. Um, so thats you can have two skiers with average three at 32, one will go at their first tournament of the year thinking I'm running five at 32, mm-hmm. and one will go and say, I hope I ran 22 off, right? <laughs> yeah. So obviously yeah. confidence is part of the picture. Yeah. When, and I,
1: both of those can the outcomes can be totally different from what you expect. The guy who's got – or the girl who's got the high expectation could end up skiing really well. And the one that's got the low expectation could end up skiing bad or vice versa. So very, very yeah. it's, it's very it – seems like user-dependent based on the athlete Absolutely. and what they're –
0: Absolutely. That, I thoroughly believe that that balance is augmented a lot by a good coach or in a team event by a good team dynamic or good relationship with teammates, right? Yeah. So that's why getting feedback from others really helps. Yeah. Um, so, so what's that's, the next? That's, to me, that's the most important one. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones are mainly good descriptors about what happens when you are in flow right so when, when you are in flow what you generally tend to experience is that action and awareness becomes one, become one thing right mm-hmm. so there's generally when we do some kind of like motors activity or water skiing or any kind of sport you go okay i plan to do this movement and then you are aware when you do it in, at a subsequent time. Yeah. In flow, that happens automatically. As you're aware of what you're doing, you're doing. Yeah. And that tends to bring a very um, what we call what we define as autotelic experience. And you mentioned it last time we talked about like the impression of you seeing yourself like out of body experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are there doing this thing. And you don't really have to imagine it or see in it, it's just like someone is controlling me. And I'm just doing this very easily. Yeah. Right. Well, I I feel like that is for me personally, that's
1: one of the main describers of that flow state, that flow point mm-hmm. is that feel that feeling you just described. But um uh, I also think it's interesting, some people attribute that to a higher power. You know? Yeah. And, and have very very strong feelings that that is you know a higher being working through them, God or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. Other people take it as just that everything was happening, everything came together at that right moment. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's v- very unique. But uh, w- what I wanted to get on before I forgot about was how do you get people? How do you coach people to get to the to to learn to to give themselves a chance to have that. Uh, action and awareness kind of merge or set themselves up so that they have more opportunities for, for that, that moment to happen? How do, you co- how do you coach people? So like you said, if I, I used to coach people and say, okay, when you pull out for the gate, I want you to do X, Y, Z. Now, and for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I've been trying to get people to visualize, theorize, meditate on an idea off the water in hopes that when they go on the water and they're just simply trying to ski and react and become more aware, that thinking will filter into what, what they're doing actually on the water. So they're not really cognitively trying to do a pose or a move like you would in yoga class where you're mechanically moving, but you're trying to let the cognitive you know, theory filter its way into the, that action awareness piece. I don't know if that makes yeah.
0: sense. Makes really good sense, uh, and that's exactly what I what I wanted to mention. We don't know much about the action awareness dimension of flow, party uh, even less something that could cause it. But I think it's a good it's a good way to approach it, where you try to do the thinking beforehand, right? We say we said last time that could help avoiding reinvestment on the water, uh, but uh, but yeah, I think. I think the awareness part would improve, right? So let's say that you go with that. You're trying to have your skier improve something about the gate or the edge change or something about skiing, right? And so you explain a lot off water. Show video, visualize, make the skier understand the, the physics of it uh, and whatnot. And then the skier just goes out and skis, right? And then awareness may be increased by you just giving feedback about what you saw mm-hmm. and having some kind of like a dialogue with the skier as far as far as i felt this okay to me you looked like that and it ends there yeah there's not there's no uh now you should be doing this there's no right? okay
1: now go ahead and do there's just this the coach helping the skier relate what the skier felt to what actually was happening so that they can develop Correct. an understanding of
0: what the feeling means. Yeah. And leave it at that. Yeah. Then off the water probably say, okay, you see, try to change this or you should be trying to feel that or whatnot. But I think maybe cre- increasing awareness which think about it like it's so hard in skiing. It's such a quick sport. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If we were on the golf course, well, then we can we can play around and try to change things but um In my opinion, is something like slalom where, yes, you have pauses in between passes, but on average, your heart rate is twice what you normally is, so you're not thinking straight to begin with. Yeah. Probably, it's just better to learn how to be aware of what you're doing, which is (laughs) tremendously hard, and then the thinking on the dock. On the dock, yeah. On a long chair, yeah. What what do you personally do before
1: you ski? Like yesterday, before the the, uh, Pro-Am, what what do you do to try to... to trick yourself into getting ready for performance? Um,
0: I like to, I generally like to uh, not set myself aside too early. I think I got to discover that for me that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I'm not the kind of skier that isolates himself half an hour before. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, you know, like maybe like four or five skiers before me I start to open my ski back, look at my gear, with my board shorts on. Oh crap! My skis and, broke.
1: Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that, that's 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 hap- that's happened to me before. Show, oh, show, showing up for it was actually a practice ride, but you know you get home the the plane the airline broke your ski, but you didn't know until you open your bag and you you're supposed to be skiing next. You're like great. Yeah. Luggi- luggage cart ran over my ski. Appreciate that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've had that before. Not 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 fun. Not fun at all. But yeah, so I just you know try to. Imagine how I would like to ski my passes, you know um, and by that I mean seeing it and feeling it as well um, so I spend like five minutes skiing probably mentally like ten or twelve passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I generally like to do thirty eight you know that's it's a good, that's a good line length It's a good line length, it's short, but it's doable. you can still feel in your movements and then you know put yep. my gloves on, and go ski yeah. You joke around on the dock,
1: or do you just keep it serious and straight faced Do you hide behind the beard, or do you come out to, <laughs> to talk with a few people?
0: Uh, depends who's on the dock. Yeah. You know. Oh, really? Uh, Should we... Well, I mean, the dock is a very interesting dynamic. We could do a freaking podcast series about dock psychology. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we could. But uh, depends. Uh, generally, the the dock starter is a safe bet. You know, they're not super involved, so can have a chat with them too but can, uh, no can can you can you uh, can you tell me
1: what's what's how important are goals with this whole mindfulness and flow approach having a clear well, set of goals very
0: important, very important. Um, one of the things we know is that um, task goals are imp- are a good way to induce flow and those goals better be clear hmm. better be well-defined, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and on top of this, we know that like some kind of technical, non-performance related goal is better for flow. It's also better for performance per se, but I'm talking about something like technical, right? So if you want to induce flowing in a slalom skier, uh, rather than going out with a performance goal of some sort of buoy count, go out with a task goal or a... Um, technical goal of uh timing of your edge change of the second weight. Yep. or um not leaving your hips behind something you know very process oriented very task oriented that you can also get some clear feedback on right sure. and that's where your coach and your videos come back yeah so definitely clear goals are a huge part of uh, of flow um and, uh, and related to that is the concentration on the task, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're experiencing flow, that task goal which you determined before is very easy to get concentrated on, right? Yep. Uh, um, and that concentration, and that's how the nine dimensions are all connected. That concentration makes Whoa. time. Wait,
1: nine dimensions? Yeah, mm-hmm. we've already covered Five or six. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. We live in one. Yeah. yeah. So there's nine to flow.
0: That's the problem right there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I told you last time. Yeah, uh, it's uh, one of the big mysteries of uh, of uh, performance psychology, but we're understanding more and more about it. So concentration. So is there any is there any merit
1: do you think to the technique I've seen throughout the years of trying to distract, set up distractions. Um, deliberate distractions during training to try to uh, train the skier, the athlete to be better at focusing on or concentrating on the task at hand.
0: Hmm. Give me some examples.
1: Oh, uh, just uh, you know, making the water a little rolly, going out spinning the boat beforehand, or having a dog barking at you while you're, tra- but just before you get in the water from the dock. Um, right. Just I don't know anything that's going to distract the skier in training is that is do you think there's merit to that or do you think it's It just limits the the productivity of the training itself
0: See I have I I think there are merits to that Uh, As you probably know a lot of professional football teams train with like blasting sound systems all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it really depends on what the skier what the skier's concentration is most likely to be affected by. Hmm. I can tell you, at least in my own personal case, but I think a lot of skiers will tell you that the first source of distraction is their own mind, more than the crowd, the duck next to two ball, or the skiers Mm -hmm, on the dock right before them, right? Uh, It's your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, uh, things that you can't really... I mean, you can certainly train, and, but they're hard to train. What's, you know?
1: what's the biggest, single biggest
0: distraction, or what's
1: a big distraction that you've had to deal with in a tournament setting? Do you remember any? Uh,
0: like, outside of my thoughts? And, yeah, or, some, something
1: that just was happening in the environment around you during a tournament set that threw you off. Uh,
0: first time I skied Junior Masters, the Pavilion. Oh really? I could not. I could not keep my eyes out of the pavilion. <laughs> I cannot explain it to you. Did like, you did you have
1: I, a did you have a crush on on a girl or what? Was she sitting in the no, stands?
0: No, no. I was just I was just too enchanted of the fact that I flew to the United States to ski in the biggest event ever, and I saw it on TV in the past, and it could just like I remember being on the beach side of Robin Lake. That's where slalom started a few times. Yeah. Uh, and I was just staring at the pavilion and could not for the life of me think about what I had to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's, I don't know why that's coming to mind, but that's certainly one.
1: Yeah. Well, the masters is coming up here in less than two weeks. How, how did that tournament ride go for you?
0: If, uh, very badly. The first time, very badly. <laughs> I, I ended up swimming to the pavilion that I kept thinking about. <laughs>
1: well, that's, that, that's fitting right there. That's very
0: fitting. I mean, right.
1: You were you were fixated on it, so you finished there.
0: Um, second time went a little better, but that time not really.
1: Yeah. So, so, what's your best? What's your best finish at Masters, Junior Masters, or Masters? What's what's your best? I finish?
0: did second. I did no third. I did third my last year. Yeah. I did third my last year.
1: What did you yep. run? What did you run? Performance to get third.
0: Man, I, I was first in the prelims with three and a half at thirty-eight. And then in the final, all I needed was like five at 35. Conditions weren't the best, yeah. But absolutely. I mean, certainly something doable. Exploded three ball at 35, and oh, I got third. Dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The offside, the offside monster gets you in the big tournaments. Absolutely, so gets me too. So what else do we have? Uh, what What's the next? As far as now, we're working through the nine dimensions of flow. What low? Um, loss, I think. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I think so. We did like challenge and skill balance. If, that's, if there's one that I would like your listeners to remember is that one. Mm-hmm. You know, like make sure that you pose challenges to yourself that you perceive your skills are up to. Yeah. And that's when you're most likely to experience flow. That counts for Nate. Nate, if you're listening, go out and, and put a good challenge to yourself. It's not going to apply to anybody else. And it, ha- it applies to the person who just learned yesterday how to ride one ski. You know, it's it's beyond skill level. It just has to apply to the individual. Um, and unambiguous feedback, we talked about it. As you as you put this goal in front of you, but primarily technical, try to make sure that you get good feedback. Luckily in slalom, you can get, or in any sport by now, you can get video. You know, you can get ways to get unambiguous feedback. Sure. Um... And then the transformation of time, uh, transformation of time, I just think is so cool. You know, like you have um, reports of like track and field athletes that run the 100 meter dash saying that their less than 10 seconds run lasted like two hours in their mind, right? And then by the opposite token, you have like marathon runners that say that that flew by, which to me is mind boggling. How, how can that fly by, right? Um, it's the power of the mind. Yeah, it's just like the perception of time when you're in flow changes a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and That's I think cool. in skiing that could be that could be related as well. Um, so I speaking of that, is yeah. there?
1: <clears throat> do you think there's any merit to the the idea or the theory that that transform, transformation of time in the slalom course or hitting the jump ramp or doing a trick run allows athletes somehow to slow things down to where they can execute how they know or how they how they have trained to execute
0: does that make sense yeah i think i think i think that's something to i don't know that that would cause flow but i think the parallel is there like think of i mean water skiing slalom jump very quick sport mm-hmm. right so then makes you think that like if you were to experience flow that would slow down right as opposed to be even faster than what you're experiencing yeah so I think that tending for that awareness and slowing down, whether it's technical or, um, you know, yeah, I think I think that's something worth pursuing. Uh, you'll hear a lot of slalom skiers saying that the pass felt slow, right? Now you can explain, you can you can imagine that from a technical standpoint, right? So they have better angles, and they're traveling more water, so. Physically, it feels slow, but also the perception of it is slower than how slow it is. Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, Interesting. What's the autotelic experience? What's that? That's what we were talking about before, right? So that experience that you're not really you. You're so out of body. your experience. Yeah, out of body. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So. Um, oh, go ahead. I think I think one of the. The cool, like science is a reflection of human beings, right? And I think one of the cool things when you hear interviews of people that just experienced flow is that it's hard for them to explain it, mm-hmm. as it is for science to hard to explain flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember when Jamie Bouchin ran 2F43 at, at Malibu, at French Malibu. Mm-hmm. You look at the interview that he gave afterwards. It's a classic example of flow. Like, he tried to explain what happened, mm-hmm. and yet nothing sensical came out. You know, he said, Good driving, no, that's, that's,
1: that's just Jamie on a normal day. That's No, that's not... no, 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 no. <laughs> said, uh, no.
0: That's a great example of flow. Like, he could not explain, explain it. You know, he said, yeah. Great driving, great ski, water felt good. Like, there, there wasn't. And he was probed. Like, he was probed to explain yeah. what he felt. And I can guarantee you, to this day, he will not be able to just because it was such a one-time. Because that's the other thing. Like, if you were experiencing flow once a week, eventually you would get the grasp of it and be able to explain it to some degree. But it happens sometimes so unexpectedly Mm. that it's hard to make sense of it. I can give you an example of when I experienced flow one time that I had, you know, I I can explain to you. Yeah. So it was. 2007 i won the under 21 europeans and i partied for a few days i mean understand <laughs> right and then uh, wait wait wait.
1: wait you're under 21 and you're partying that that's that's not cool bro well, I'm,
0: I'm from europe man
1: okay uh, right. are a bit different. they
0: are so i'm partying uh, and then You know, Thursday morning, my coach calls me and says, hey, you're signed up for a record tournament tomorrow. Do you want to come and get a practice set? Uh, Yeah, fair enough. So I go and, man, like 32, 35, 38, 39, 2 at 41, 2 at 41 home. Mm -hmm. Like something that I think I ran 39 maybe once in my life before that. Mm -hmm. And unexplainable. Like (laughs) to this day, probably some of the best passes I've ever run in my entire life. Yeah and my coach was eager like what what are you feeling like you know cuz it was one of those sets like he was driving not watching you know yeah and i'm like i don't know it just feels very easy to do you know <laughs> oh man so don't you don't wish know, you like, could go
1: back and just watch the, the, have that feeling again and try to figure out okay what sparked that or what caused that or what led me down that road
0: y- yeah yeah, but you know what? I think connecting back to what we talked about last time, more than what brought me to ski to a 41Easy was how cool was I that for the next three months after that, all I wanted to do when I woke up in the morning was go to the lake and ski. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think is cooler. You know, The concept of flow
1: as it relates to motivating humans to, to pursue excellence, pursue developing a craft whatever it is that that's that's yeah. maybe the biggest takeaway of all is flow may be this, the the single most impactful thing to drive passion and desire
0: i'd say yeah no no that and that's what i think that's what i think the sports psychology research is finally realizing in the last 5 to 10 years because before we were looking at peak performance which by definition is great performance and flow And we thought there was a one-one correlation, which would mean they are the same thing. But they're not, right? Hmm. So you can have peak performances in which you don't experience flow, and you can have flow experiences which are not even performance-related. You could go, Marcus, and have a free ride set in two hours, and flow comes out, right? So (laughs) it's not really. Yeah, no. For sure? No, I know. I know. I agree completely. I think but um, what we do see what we do see is that flow experiences always bring a sense of truly intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. So that makes you want to do that activity more and more, you know. Yeah. Which to
1: circle back around I know I know we don't have much more time but to circle back around to our our last discussion about youth and kids in sports and trying to find the motivating factors that keep and get kids excited about sports, I think it's less about Hey, I'll buy you a new pair of shoes, or I'll, I'll buy you whatever. And it's more about setting them up, giving them the right environments with the right friends, you know, the right community to put put them in the right environment so that they can have their own experiences approaching flow. Because then they are going to be more compelled to to get proactive and to get passionate about this this thing. If they no, have, totally... if, if they have the predisposition to to want to do that you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always the combination of like predisposition and, 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 um, I guess, uh, parenting and reinforcement, but, but I think, again, as a, you, you want your, your skier young kid to enjoy the sport that they're doing, uh, first and foremost, because that will keep them in the sport longer and provided they get passionate about, uh competition it makes them more likely to uh to continue pursuing their craft you know mm-hmm. uh i mean I, I'm gonna butcher like make it super easy, but you know like if if a teenager up until teenager years or they were reinforced for was performance, the second they go off on their own and they do first pass miss first pass miss first pass miss one of those valleys in performance, mm-hmm. when they get back up and they're not reinforced because the parent is not there anymore, the first question that they ask themselves is, "What's the point?" Yeah. But if they yeah. were reinforced to enjoy what they're doing, then performance is in, like not insignificant. Performance but, is incidental. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah I guess. So, I guess that 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 I have one question for you that's kind of along those lines, and that is. Is it more important to develop the skill of, of you know, pushing yourself to excel at something that you may or may not like? Or is it more important to be able to, to develop this aware, self-awareness skill of the things that you actually enjoy in life and then going and figuring out how to do those? Because we oftentimes get sucked into things that, as humans that we don't necessarily always enjoy. But it's right. just because that's the group of people that we know and we associate with or, you know, it's what our parents brought us up to do or whatever. But how important is it to pay attention to that spark in your head that, that does, you know, make you feel that much closer to flow?
0: Yeah, I think, I think to me, particularly in the youth age, is, is so important the second one, the ability to be aware of what you enjoy, which again, a seven-year-old kid... What has no trouble with that? they will tell you right away what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy Uh, And then as life goes on other commitments come up and that's you know, it's not morally right or wrong It's just how things uh, are in society Uh, If you were to continue grow up and doing only the things that you enjoy You would not be a sociable human being and all the problems (laughs) that come with that (laughs) but when it comes to something that is not your life doesn't depend on like a sport activity Uh, particularly if you're a kid it'd be nice if you were given the opportunities to explore what it is that you like and what it is that you don't like Um, something that I think used to be more for our parents you know like uh, they were more exposed to other things Uh, even though the means were less Mm. uh, they didn't have Parents telling them, "You do that, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, "Hey, there's a you know, there's a football field, there's a baseball diamond, there's a gym, there's you know, do whatever, the pool, and figure out what you like. It's fun, yeah. you know." Yeah. Uh, my well, hope is that it comes back there as soon as possible.
1: I, I think it will. I think a few more of those uh, Starbucks caffeine tablets, and you're gonna you're gonna have the, the keys to all of our. All our problems, buddy.